0: up your bibles at genesis chapter 2 verse 25 debbie's going to come and read that for us good morning debbie good
1: morning everyone so yes the very first book of the bible starting at the last verse of chapter 2 verse 25 the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say that you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, You may eat from the fruit in the garden, but God did say, "He must not we must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of it, the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die." "You will surely not die," the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of the both were opened and they realised they were naked And they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and the woman heard the sound of the Lord God, who was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman put it here with me. She gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. And the Lord said to the woman, What is it that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate it. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. (coughs) He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since it was where you were taken, for dust you are and to dust you will return." Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. And the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man is now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach his hand and take from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove them out he placed on the east side of the garden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life.
0: If you want to have your um, Bibles open, we're working from chapter 3 of Genesis today. Uh, that's on, uh, my Bible has it on page 2. Not that far to go. There are a few things in life which instantly put you at a disadvantage as turning up in the wrong clothes. Am I right? TV reporters are always encouraged to look their best on camera. I've had uh, a a career managing TV newsrooms and uh, it is a little bit embarrassing when the reporter uh, knows to dress in high heels and then is sent to the lamb sales to cover the story... (laughs) Uh, One reporter came back uh, telling me that her heels got stuck in the mud as soon as she arrived and she spent the rest of the day interviewing farmers in bare feet, ankle deep in mud. Probably she should have got changed. Uh, I've been caught out too. Renee and I were invited to a fancy dress party but I think we were the only ones who read the invitation that said fancy dress. And so we turned up to find some very well-dressed people while we were dressed as cowboys. (laughs) And then began the awkward conversations as people didn't know whether that's just what we liked to wear (laughs) or whether we were legitimately in fancy dress. We probably should have got changed. And then there's the time I went to an event for 1,000 people. 999 of them were wearing suit and tie, but one of them was wearing jeans and a polo shirt. I noticed him because it was me. (laughs) I probably should have got changed. Clothes maketh the man, the saying goes, but you know that clothes can actually hide the man. Put a high-vis vest on and see just how much further into a work site you can get than if you were wearing an ordinary T-shirt. Am I right, Roger? Put a white coat on a TV actor and instantly they look like an expert. And we trust them more, studies show. Clothes say a lot about us and the theme of clothing runs through today's passage to make an important point that we can't merely cover up our faults. I'm sure we're broadly familiar with this passage as being about the origin of sin but we're going to look at this passage today through the analogy of clothing and in order to do that we first have to take a look at nakedness. In the first chapters of Genesis, man and woman have been created. But so far, there's been no talk of them needing clothing. We see that in chapter 2, verse 25, the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. No shame, even though they were naked. Perhaps we might compare that to a newborn baby. The nakedness of a newborn baby is a thing of beauty, of innocence of love. Appropriate. And in the first couple of chapters of Genesis, nakedness was appropriate because there was nothing to hide from each other, nothing to hide from God. But we wear clothes today because nakedness has been corrupted. And that corruption happens here in chapter 3, verse 7. For those of you looking on on the sermon outline, not 225, but chapter 3, verse 7. Nakedness with shame. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realised they were naked. See what's changed? Their nakedness now has a perverse feeling about it. Previously, Adam and Eve felt no shame. Now... They feel nakedness with shame. Now, there's a discomfort we know all too well. This nakedness is awkward, inappropriate. Adam and Eve realise the other person can see everything. They feel embarrassed and vulnerable and miserable. So what's changed What's brought this shame? In the short space of the six verses in between, Adam and Eve have decided to disobey God and do what they want and look inward to their own desire. Here's how it happens. The serpent invites them to disobey God but rather than walk away, Eve chooses to debate with the serpent unsuccessfully. Verse 6 shows the thought process of the humans. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Now, back in chapter 2, verse 16, God had said, You must not eat from this tree. He didn't say, you must make up your own mind. He said, you must not eat. But the woman has ignored what God said, has looked inward to her own desires and made an opposing judgment about what to do. The man is not innocent. The man has no defence either because verse 6 says, the man was with her. He had heard what God said back in chapter 2, verse 16, and instead he looked inside and did what he wanted. Ignoring God's command, he follows his own desire and joins in the disobedience. To use the modern vernacular, Adam and Eve have gone with their gut. They want to redefine what's right to do whatever they want. Well, the disobedience of this couple has immediate consequences. They haven't seen God yet, since, but already they're feeling shame. The shame of being at fault. They've ignored what God wants. They know what they've done is wrong. Their conscience condemns them. Sound familiar? We feel this shame too when we follow our conscience, when we follow our own desire and our conscience condemns us. When we go our own way, when we go with our gut and ignore what God commands. But they're also feeling the shame that comes from being at risk. When Adam and Eve looked at each other, and saw the other person looking back, they realise they're vulnerable. Eve's thinking, Adam just ignored what was right and did whatever he wanted and grabbed that piece of fruit. What if he ignores what God wants and treats me like a piece of fruit? Can I trust him? And Adam's thinking, can I trust her to be my helper anymore, seeing as she just helped herself? When they ignored the rules, trust was destroyed and they realised they're at risk, vulnerable to each other. In a sinful world, we are also at risk. From crime, from grief, from pain, from mourning, from financial loss, from disaster, we're at risk because other people have ignored the rules and done what they want and so have we. We're at fault and at risk because of this episode in the garden. How would you react to the realisation that you are vulnerable, at fault and at risk? If you saw that you were naked and vulnerable, what would you do? The good news is that God has a solution. But we're not there yet in this chapter. Let's see how Adam and Eve react. It's painful to follow. First, they try to cover up. They invent clothes. We continue in verse 7. They sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. I don't know if you've ever tried to turn plants into clothes... Not a great idea, I can attest to that, because I was uh, gardening in uh, a house I owned and tearing out a whole heap of vines from the front yard. It was overrun. And as I was doing it, I realised that I had another fancy dress party coming up and I could probably make the vines into some sort of thing. And so I looped the vines around and around and around until they were dense enough that I could actually climb into... Uh, I, I still needed to wear clothes underneath. They were—they did not do the job. Let's put it that way. Uh, not to mention that it was two degrees predicted that night. Uh, I needed some more cover. Plants are a poor choice when it comes to covering up, but in this case, they just grabbed whatever was nearest. Fig leaves would have been a poor solution for nakedness. But you can see Adam's thinking here, can't you? just got to put some sort of barrier up to hide my vulnerability. They're covering their nakedness, yes, but more to the point, they're trying in vain to prevent people from seeing their faults, to try and prevent being at risk. The fig leaves are just the start of their lousy attempts to deal with shame. When God comes in verse 8, they try solution number 2. They literally hide. Adam said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Verse 10. The correct way of saying that is he hid because he was ashamed, at fault, at risk. That doesn't work. As if they could hide from God. So when we read God's questions like, where are you? These are not the questions of a God who doesn't know. These are like the questions of a prosecutor in a courtroom. Never ask a question you don't know the answer to. God sees their faults. They can't hide. They are now on trial. They can't cover this up. So they go for the third type of solution. Try to divert God's gaze. Imagine the scene. The man and the woman, pinnacle of God's creation, come out from their hiding place wearing fig leaves. And then, under questioning, they try to pass off a story that someone else is at fault. When God questions the man he set up as his delegated ruler, the man comes up with a weak excuse and rats out his supposed teammate. She made me do it. No, thanks a lot, Adam. And the woman, though, is equally evasive. She says, the serpent deceived me. They've both just confirmed how faulty they are. Uh, we may look on tutting at their foolishness and faultiness, but don't we do the same? When we are exposed at fault at risk what do we do in our lives we also try to cover up to hide to deflect blame when people disobey God is it true that you don't see them coming to church that much because you just don't want to be in God's presence or in the presence of his people exposed, vulnerable, at fault. They also stop praying. They might stop reading their Bible. They might stop confessing their sin in prayer. They're trying to hide their faults. But that's only one solution, if you could call it a solution. They also try to cover up. Maybe if I put something on over the top, God will see that instead. And so they cover up. We cover up with good deeds, with charity, with extra external distractions that people would see instead of our faults. They try to pay off the trouble they've caused. And they try a third weak solution, deflect the brain. How? The, the devil made me do it? Is that a common thing that we hear? Or don't you know I'm under a lot of pressure at work? We want to point to circumstances as being the problem rather than admitting that we are at fault. A lot of our time, it turns out, is spent hiding, covering up or diverting blame. But God sees our faults And he has a real fix, which we see from verse 14 to 24. It's already been read to us, but I want to point to you a few important points. First, verse 21. The Lord made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. The Lord made garments of skin and clothed them. He helps them get changed yes, more clothing. The first part of God's solution is to provide skins from animals. It's the first mention of uh, some sort of animal sacrifice that we see as making up for our faults. But it's not a complete fix, is it? Where the skin of a goat might be better than some hastily sewn together fig leaves, even goat skins wear out. And at best, they only cover over the outside. But we know the real problem is inside. That was the problem with Adam and Eve. They looked inside and went with their gut, went with their desire and ignored. No, clothing's only going to cover up the real problem of the heart. God sees through that sort of cover, so the goatskins are only a temporary fix. In fact, You might say the whole rest of the journey of the Bible is an attempt to find, a search to find a real fix, a real solution to the problem inside us. We get the sacrificial system where bulls and goats, more animals, are offered as payment for the sin and the high priest wears beautiful clothes to look good in front of God But animal sacrifice and good clothing is just a covering for the problem just like those animal skins in Genesis 3. That sort of covering won't make us right. It'll just cover up the real problem. And what's the result of that problem? Let's look at verse 23 here. The Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he'd been taken the Lord God banished them from the garden, even with the skins. They were covered up, but they were still guilty on the inside. A guilty heart is what separates us from God. Just like Adam in the garden, the guilty heart resulted in separation. And that separation has implications for every part of human life. Work is tougher, More like a painful toil than a blessing. Childbearing and childrearing is difficult. It doesn't feel like the blessing that was intended. Sin has consequences, and that's why covering it up doesn't solve the problem. Nice clothes are only a cover, good work, charity, it's only a cover. Generally being nice on the outside, it's only a cover for the problem of our heart. It does nothing to deal with our disobedience, it only covers up our shame. To continue the clothing analogy, Isaiah chapter 64 tells us that when God looks at our attempt at righteousness, he sees only filthy rags because God sees our faults. God sees our problem heart it needs to get changed. What we need is nothing short of a total heart transplant. Some way of swapping out our faulty, guilty insides and needing cleaning right through. That solution is predicted here in Genesis three, chapter 5, uh, verse fifteen. God tells the servant, uh, the serpent. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Verse 15 is predicting a day when a human, a descendant of Eve, will crush the serpent which has the power of sin. That descendant of Eve Is the man Jesus Christ? The New Testament makes this connection loud and clear, even though Genesis 3 only hints at it. Revelation 12 says that ancient serpent is none other than the devil who leads the whole world astray, just like he did here in Genesis 3. But who overcomes the devil? Hebrews chapter 2 tells us it's Jesus. Our Westminster Confession puts it well. Jesus Christ has been revealed as the offspring that crushes the serpent's head. Deals with it. So it has no power. Jesus is the one who ticks all the boxes. Jesus, descendant of Eve. But Jesus, unlike us, had nothing to hide, nothing to cover up, nothing to deflect blame for. He was tested in every way we were and yet was without sin. He didn't look inside to a guilty heart. He followed the rules of God. He chose obedience to God rather than sin in a way that we have never been able to do. Just like verse 15 predicts, he was bruised. He suffered, yes, physically in his life and physically in his death on a cross, but even more to the point, he suffers because he wraps himself up in our sin and therefore feels the separation from God that those sins deserve. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he crushed the power of Satan, the power of sin over us, In suffering the separation that we deserved. He dealt with the problem of our sin. And then he goes further. He replaces our problem heart. Ezekiel 36 says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. In the New Testament, Ephesians 4 puts it this way. In Christ, you took off your old self which was corrupted by desire and put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness. Created to be like God. That's what Eve wanted to be, like God. That was the original temptation. But she thought she could be like God by disobeying him. Whereas We can be like God only by trusting in the righteousness of Christ. He is the one who gives us a whole new self, a whole new heart, and new clothes, new clothes of righteousness. This is a much better solution than the weak fig leaves and animal skins of Genesis 3. But Jesus still wasn't done. The resurrected Jesus lives to represent you forever. In the past, we were represented by Adam and Eve, our first parents, you might say. They failed, as we've seen, because they had guilty hearts. And we've been suffering because of their failure and separation from God ever since. That's why the Bible calls Jesus the second Adam. The Apostle Paul writes this, The first Adam was of the dust. The second Adam is of heaven. And just as we bore the image of the earthly Adam, so now we shall bear the image of the heavenly man. This is saying when you put your trust in Jesus... You ditch the faulty representative of Adam and you choose the perfect representative of Jesus to represent you before God the judge. This solution is the complete solution. Much better than Adam and Eve's weak attempts to cover up. So the question for us, the question for you, is are you repeating the faults of Adam and Eve? When you're at fault or at risk, do you try their three strategies to deal with it? Do you try to blame it on something else? Oh, it's okay for me to be angry with the kids because I've got a lot going on right now. Or... Perhaps you avoid communicating with God and hide instead. Oh, I can't believe I did that. How can I bring myself back to be in front of God again? Or do you still try to cover it up like Adam and Eve did, but this time with some sort of charity or good work, thinking, oh, maybe God will look at what I contributed instead of what's going on inside Those are the ways of the old Adam. Let us not repeat them. Those attempts are like filthy rags because God sees your problem heart. So don't get caught out trying to wear the wrong clothes. It's terrible. It's time to get changed. Stop hiding and come clean. I challenge you today and every day. When you pray, make your confessions specific, not, sorry about all that mess. But what did you do and what offence have you caused to God? No excuses, no hiding like Adam and Eve, no covering up with good works and charity because you've been offered the clothes of righteousness that comes from Jesus Christ. A life without any barrier between you and God. And so it's time. It's time to get changed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we confess that we have tried to cover up our faults. Lord, we confess that we hide from you and hope you don't notice. But you do notice. And we are sorry. Lord, please attribute to us the righteousness of Christ. Allow him to deal with our faulty heart and change us for good. In Jesus' name, amen.